Welcome back to Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by my friend and colleague, Darren Schmidt. We're family lawyers focused on bringing you the six steps to navigate your divorce quickly and efficiently without bankrupting yourself emotionally or financially. This week, we're addressing more of your questions. And of course, while everything we talk about on this podcast is legal information, it is not legal opinion or legal advice of any kind. Darren Schmidt, how are you doing? You know what? I always say, I am so good. I am actually so good um, because we've had a bit of a breakthrough this week. Your social media has just skyrocketed. Anyone listening to us uh, from the TikTok platform, that's the platform I guess we've just both chosen to run with. Uh, You had a breakthrough video this week, so awesome to see that. And uh, right before we started recording this, we were going to try and do a, a live TikTok of this episode, meaning you could tune into TikTok and just watch us do this. We had some technical problems, so unfortunately that didn't work, but we're going to try and do that in the future. So if you're listening to us from TikTok, stay tuned. We're going to try and do try out recording some of this stuff uh, live while we're recording these podcast sessions. So that'll be awesome. But uh, anyway, enough about me. How are you doing? Uh, I'm great for all the reasons you just said, um, because you really led the way on TikTok since earlier this year, and you've grown your following and had tons of engagement with folks that have looped back into our prod- into our podcast and the larger Divorced and Done project, which has been great. Uh, and I had some growth this week, which I am so happy for. And some folks sent us some questions, sent me some questions, and engaged with me directly, which I really appreciate. So for those of you on TikTok, that's super cool. Uh, for those of you that are not on TikTok, um, it's a fun Fear platform. Not. Yeah, it's fun. I You're, like it. You know, you don't don't feel pressured to use social media. If you found us some other way, that's awesome too. We appreciate that. And we would really appreciate, actually, if you found us from some other way other than TikTok, you just email us to our email, lawyerstalkingaboutdivorce at gmail.com, and just tell us, hey, we love you guys. Or maybe it's like, hey, I hate you guys. Every time but I please answer the question podcast. anyway. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we welcome feedback of all sorts. Uh, but we do really welcome your listener questions. And we have a lot, actually. So we will not be able to get to all of them that we've received over the last week or so, we have so many in the hopper, but we're going to get to about three tonight as we record this to be released Wednesday. Uh, without further ado, do we want to jump into these, Rob? Absolutely. All right, Rob, let's jump into question one. Listener says, hi, hello. She said, love your and Darren's podcast. This is one of your uh, loyal yeah, this one followers, came to me. Rob. This is great. <laughs> Love your endurance podcast. Are you able to talk about cryptocurrency? Maybe. Uh, To be specific, my ex-husband and I separated in 2018 and he hasn't done his taxes since. I have never received a notice of assessment from him, despite the fact we had to exchange all financials for court this past July. All I receive are his T4s. I'm confident he is hiding money because when we split... He took about $60,000 out of our joint account and it vanished. This whole thing's a mess. Oh, any regard, I do not believe he was being forthcoming with his disclosure. His bank transactions confirm that. But how do I prove this? Specifically, would love for you to speak on cryptocurrency and disclosure. 
Smiley face, sending you a smiley face back. Rob, on this question, what do you think? This is great. And we've talked about disclosure a few times before. And I'm glad to hear that the listener was in court already on disclosure. So said you had to exchange all financials for court this past July. Even though he's provided work T4s, that may be enough, that may not be enough. And often in continuing disclosure orders from court, because either you or your lawyer will have an opportunity to say to the court, he hasn't produced enough disclosure or he hasn't even done his taxes. And the court may even give direction to your ex to file his taxes in a certain period of time so that we have a better idea of what his income is. Otherwise, he may be liable to being imputed based on his T4 or what's there. So really, the court should set out that process to make sure your disclosure and his disclosure are complete before any decisions are made. The listener mentioned 60 grand vanishing out of a joint account, and it's a mess. I'm sorry to hear that on the notion of money disappearing, and if it's still happening, Uh, You may want to seek what's called a preservation order from court if there's still money in any joint accounts that freezes the accounts so that money can't disappear or go other places, even if it's just from his accounts. If money's still going in wildly different places, you can seek that freezing order. But if that's not an issue, and for the sake of this question, let's imagine that joint account is either now closed or empty after that 60000 vanished from there, and she believes it's in cryptocurrency. And most everyone listening, I think, now knows what cryptocurrency is to some degree. It is a digital investment that you can either buy through a whole host of online trading platforms, or you can mine yourself. And because 60 grand disappeared from your joint account, I'm guessing the listener is concerned he's gone and purchased cryptocurrency with it. And cryptocurrency can be purchased through different digital platforms online that may or may not be backed by traditional banks. And when we have disclosure to institutions that are non-traditional, for example, a bank that's not located in Canada or a digital bank, that digital bank may not be in the jurisdiction and liable for disclosure orders. Meaning the court can make an order saying, hey, crypto bank, please produce all account statements for this person because the court's made an order saying those must be produced. But if that bank isn't in the jurisdiction or we don't really know who's responsible for it because that's sort of the nature of some cryptocurrency because there's different cryptocurrencies all the time and they're a little bit ephemeral uh, and hard to grab onto like a greased fish, a court can step in and make assumptions. And there is a brand new case out of BC that I pulled up today. Here we go. You betcha. 2021 BCSC 1273. And if you turn to paragraph 361, in this situation, the couple had a lot of assets, probably more than about a million dollars in assets. And unfortunately, more than $100,000 of this money, it was believed, disappeared into cryptocurrency. The husband made this money vanish. He was maybe investing it in crypto. And thankfully, his ex-wife 
had taken some screenshots of his investment accounts. So there were some different values at different points in time. And in this case, she estimated in or around 2017, when all of this first started growing, that he put $100,000 into the crypto accounts. By the time of trial in 2021, he said, I'm sorry, you know, it's crypto, it's super volatile. I lost it all. There's less than 40 cents left, some ridiculous figure like that. It's, it's just gone. Sorry, I have no access to this. And in that situation, when we're dividing assets, we'd want to know historically what those accounts were valued at, particularly when the marriage broke down and at separation. And husband, he had really no information about the cryptocurrency. He was saying at trial, it's worthless. His ex-wife was saying when we separated, it was worth a lot more. And at the time of the marriage, he put in about $100,000. So the court says at paragraph 361, quote, I turn now to the cryptocurrency assets. The respondent, dad's non-disclosure with respect to this asset is particularly egregious. I do not accept his evidence that all cryptocurrency assets were simply lost. In light of obtaining finality, and in light of the evidence that indicated that investments in cryptocurrency were in the range of $100,000, and accepting that there may have been some losses, I would attribute a value of $60,000 to the cryptocurrency accounts. End quote. So in this situation, the court said, great. Uh, we take notice that cryptocurrency is really volatile. Mom had some evidence that there were investments there. And because of dad's total unwillingness to provide any information into the historical crypto assets, a value was assigned, unfortunately, a little bit arbitrarily. But the court said, great, we're valuing that at $60,000. And even though there may have been no crypto there, because dad spent that money, he may now be liable to mom in the final equalization of assets for those monies that disappeared. So that's how courts are dealing with cryptocurrency. Uh, it can happen. And for the listener, coming back to the disclosure piece, I'd say raise all of that in court. And if the court in July didn't give you further direction on how those financials are to be produced or how your ex is to complete his tax returns, that would potentially be worth raising in court again. Otherwise, inferences may be found against him at trial or in a final determination. Darren, what are your thoughts? I think on the case you've presented, which is awesome that you found a case, um, you know, those folks in that case appear fortunate in the sense that they had a bunch of money um, to reapportion, what we call in BC a reapportionment of family property. So the, the wife in that case would have had a $60,000 credit of other family property on her end but the court would have reapportioned to her, I presume. I didn't read that case. If it was th over 300 paragraphs, holy smokes, that's quite a case. Um, but, you know, not everyone's so fortunate to have that extent of wealth to reapportion and say, okay, you, you, you took $60,000 out of a joint account, used it for your own spending. It's in cryptocurrency. God knows what the actual value is, but let's presume it's 60000 is there $60,000 worth of value in other stuff, bank accounts, equity in a home, that can be reapportioned to the other spouse if that in fact occurs? Because it appears the courts are willing to do this. And I would agree with your general thoughts on that, Rob, is like, you know, I, I took money out of an account or I, 
I had money in my own account and I invested it in cryptocurrency and I just don't have any disclosure respecting that, of course, a court can say, I don't accept that. Let's just appoint a number of value on that. But how do you make up for it on the other end? In other words, if they've kind of, you know, squandered the money away, actually maybe lost it in cryptocurrency, um, you know, how, how, how do we reapportion that if you don't have enough on the back end to reapportionment? Uh, reapportion it, excuse me, it can be difficult. So yeah, I agree. Raise it for this listener, raise it, raise it right away. Ask the other party. If they have a lawyer, ask their lawyer. Uh, I want their cryptocurrency wallet. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Is that what it's called, Rob? A crypto wallet? Um, Uh, I believe if you hold that digitally online somewhere, yes. Otherwise, you sort of hold those assets potentially through a traditional bank or more traditional brokerage. In Canada, something like Wealthsimple. I want to know what, basically, I want to know what the value of the crypto holdings of my ex-spouse are in Canadian dollars. Tell me what that is and produce some corroborating documents pertaining to that. And if it's like, oh, we don't know, and it's sort of, it's the internet, and the internet's complex, that uh, obviously from That's what you said. That's not an answer. Before, yeah. It's not an answer. So I don't think the $60,000 is necessarily lost, presuming there's enough other assets here to move it around, and you would get credited for that $60,000 by redividing the property some other way. And hopefully you have that, and we wish you well. Thank you so much for the question. Let's go to question two. Listener says, hi, Robert, specifically to Robert. Hi, Robert. Thanks for your podcast. I'm having you know, a big I'm, week. Ugh. I, you know, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm around too. Uh, but, and hey. You've been the big deal. I'm the big deal now. <laughs> yeah. Let's get the spotlight on Rob. Hey, Robert, thanks for your <laughs> podcast. They are very helpful during these stressful times. Very cool. Some background. My husband and I are both self-employed and have worked full-time since the kids were babies. Uh, we're married for 16 years. I had, I have had the children 100% of the time since we separated. On average, he makes about $100,000 a year more than I do, but he co-mingles his personal and corporate money as well as charges personal items through his corporation. I was a little fast and loose here respecting his corporate finances. Because of this co-mingling, uh, oh, it appears they have an arbitrator. Because of this commingling, our arbitrator is requesting we have an expert create guideline incomes. Uh, we separated two years ago. We have no agreements in place. He paid a few months of child support in 2020 and has paid no child support in 2021. Corporate year ends just occurred last month. He's now manipulating funds to show an even lower projected personal income for 2022. So that's all the background facts. Looks like both parties self-employed. The opposing party here makes historically $100,000 a year, has a corporation, not managing the corporate funds particularly well, and probably needs a good accountant to help him. They have an arbitrator. The arbitrator is saying, we need a third-party expert to help figure all this mess out. The listener says, I have two questions. Sure, why not? Question one, how will 2020 and 2021 child support still owing, because there's arrears, compared to child support going forward? For example, if he's successful in convincing an expert that his income will go down in 2022, will the outstanding 2020 and 2021 child support be based on future projections, even though his income shows as much higher those past years. In other words, just because of his current income, whatever that might be, which the expert will find out, will that affect retroactive child support? Rob, what do you think? 
So it's great that these folks are in an arbitration process, and it sounds like you have an active arbitrator who said, no, I'm not going to take all of this information at first blush, because you've both probably produced a whole bunch of financial information, and your arbitrator knows that when we're looking at corporate income, yes, people can make tons of deductions from their income to make their income lower, their personal income tax lower, payable for CRA purposes. But just because you report a lower income on your personal income taxes for child support purposes, those deductions may or may not be reasonable. And there's a process in our federal child support guidelines that outlines how we can determine whether deductions are reasonable. And the listener in the question says he's deducting personal legal fees, personal taxes, dogs. Uh, We haven't seen any of the material. And even though Darren and I, you and I aren't experts, uh, I'm going to imagine a bunch of those expenses aren't reasonable, which will necessarily result in him having a higher guideline income assigned to him by an expert. And the expert that will do this will be either an accountant or some other financial professional that's able to do analysis of all of those expenses and give a professional opinion as to what is reasonable or not. Now, whether you both have the same expert uh, is a good question. He may want his own expert that says his deductions are valid and his income is necessarily lower. You may want to go find your own expert that says his deductions are not valid, so his income is necessarily higher. And as a result of that, you'll both have numbers for his 2020 and 2021 income in the past based on uh, the tax returns that are there. Even if his income goes down in 2022 going forward, that will not change the arrears based on his income tax uh, projected income for 2020 and 2021. Where your arbitrator may get involved is if you have separate expert reports and there is no agreement on what appropriate valuations are, the expert, or excuse me, the arbitrator may be the decision maker of final um, final choice here and make the decisions as to exactly what his income is. Once his income is set, then those child support uh, arrears and go forward payments can be set. So for setting child support You're doing everything exactly right. Engaging an expert to produce those expert reports costs a little bit of money, but it's a really valuable spend as opposed to just giving all those financial documents to your lawyer or to the arbitrator and saying, hey, can you figure this out? We're not accountants. We're not financial professionals. Uh, That's why we retain those folks to support us so that we can be right on the law. What are your thoughts? I mean, I, I look at this maybe a little bit more simply. Um, I mean, section 16 of the child support guidelines says we, we compute child support based on the personal income tax return of the payor looking at their line 150 income. That's the presumption. And then we stray from that presumption at sections 17 to 20 of the guidelines where we can start looking at imputing income, particularly in this case for uh, shareholders of companies or directors and shareholders of companies where we say, well, are they just leaving money in the company and not paying themselves personally? That's where I think this expert is probably going to help if I was to strip this down to its most basic. 
So I think what's happening is this arbitrator has said to the other party, presumably, your personal income tax return for 2020 and 2021 probably don't reflect an accurate line 150 income for child support purposes, right? You're probably not paying yourself enough money because, you know, we look at your personal income tax returns, but then we look at the corporate income tax returns and there's a bunch of money perhaps left over in retained earnings, or it's just sitting in cash, or it's just sort of earmarked there in the financial statements as well. Likely unaudited financial statements will show that. And so the expert's going to probably at a, at a fairly decent cost, um, go back and maybe not do a full audit, but they're going to ask to corroborate some of the corporate records and the ledger and all that stuff and go, hmm, maybe there's a bunch of money sitting in here that uh, should have been paid to you personally. The fact that he's screwing up his corporation perhaps by looking at um, commingling funds and doing weird write-offs in his company. I mean, that's problematic in and of itself, but that expert will help with that. But I mean, the starting point always is we start by looking at the personal income tax return at line 150 and saying, is that good enough? I'm assuming it's not good enough in this case. That's why your expert's going to help or his expert's going to help. And I'm going to suggest once the expert has rendered their opinion, you're probably locked in on that. So there's no going back on that, right? Your arbitrator is going to go, well, I don't know any better than the expert. So the expert, their opinion is going to govern the day. So just be prepared for that. Like you may not ultimately like the opinion of the expert, but unless you can show real malfeasance or some serious error committed by the expert in conducting their research and perusing through the records, I think you're probably bound to whatever they say. So, all right. The sub second question to this listener's question is she's saying my ex is now claiming he um, is should be paid by me compensatory spousal support. He is stating that he suffered in the marriage because he raised the kids, cooked and cleaned, which I contest. And I think that is untrue. Since marriage, he worked full time with my father in a downtown office and the children were all in full time child care since they were infants. Maybe your father has some insight into his income. I don't know. Uh, I worked out of the house as a photographer. I've been trying to chase down daycare receipts from 16 years ago, which is not an easy task. Uh, What's the best way to fight this? In other words, uh, how do I contest that he's not entitled to spousal support? Spousal support entitlement question. Rob, what do you think? If she's in arbitration on the income issues, I'm going to imagine she's also in arbitration on the spousal support issues. Because when we enter into arbitration agreements, which is a private judge, where you're giving a lawyer or somebody else the power to make decisions for you, we usually give that person the power to deal with all issues in your divorce. So I'm going to imagine that this spousal support issue is going to come up through arbitration because that's where you already are. Much like going to court, you will have an opportunity to state your side of the case. And in this situation, he's saying he raised the kids, cooked and cleaned. Uh, Darren, as you said, it sounds like the listener's dad may have some sort of opinion on his income and his work life. Uh, if he was indeed working in a downtown office and the children were in full-time childcare, uh, as she says in the beginning of the question, Uh, Her ex earns $100,000 more than her. 
uh, assuming that's sort of been consistent and she has had the children a hundred percent of the time since separation, uh, there may be some path forward for him to make some sort of claim depending on the strength of his evidence. But in what she's put forward here, I'm really not seeing it. And it sounds like you may both just have to have that fight in arbitration, but it doesn't appear that he really has a strong claim based on the facts that we have. We did a humdinger of a two-part series on spousal support, a bit um, separated. We didn't do them back to back, but there are two episodes in our library of episodes addressing spousal support. What you're looking at is the um, entitlement to spousal support episode. I have no idea what number episode that is or where it sits in our library, but you can find that. The other thing I would say is a a court or an arbitrator, in your case, considering entitlement to spousal support, is going to be looking at uh, section 15.2 of the Divorce Act, where it says in making an order for basically spousal support, this is sub sub uh, section four, the court, or in your case, arbitrator shall take into consideration the conditions, means, needs, and other circumstances of each spouse, including the length of time that you cohabited, the functions performed by each spouse during cohabitation, and any order, agreement, or arrangement relating to the support of the other spouse, which is very generic. But you're looking at really what what did you guys both do during your relationship? Was anyone economically disadvantaged by entering into the relationship? From the little we know, it appears no one is suffering financially, uh, given that his income exceeds yours by at least $100,000. That would likely put him in the top 5 to 2% of all earners in Canada. Um, I mean, this is obviously a question you're going to have to raise with your lawyer, but I, I agree with you, Rob. It's probably a pretty thin claim without knowing any more. Not advice, just my thoughts. Um, anyway, um, she says, I really hope you have time to help me with these questions. And thank you. Uh, thank you for submitting them. And hope the rest of the arbitration process goes well. That's really cool. You're engaging our podcast and you've engaged us despite I'm sure being deeply steeped in a legal process already. Indeed. Let's go to question three, our last question this week. I'm in BC. Hey, I'm in BC too. Uh, My ex-husband was abusive and had an assault on a minor conviction for hitting my son. That's quite unfortunate. We have a daughter together and due to his increased harassment every time I got a lawyer, we never actually got divorced or had any custody parenting arrangements in place. My family and I drove our daughter hours to see him for years. And then five years ago at Thanksgiving, he sent some very alarming texts trying to convince me to let him buy a car seat and pick her up and um, go to a friend's house saying he had talked to some people from child services and they told him it was illegal for me to say he had to be supervised. A little confused on these details, but uh, it appears there's some history of violence uh, and manipulation perhaps on his part. So the listener says, I called child services. They said me, they said to me, no, he's not allowed to be alone with our child. And if he ever got a hold of her to call them immediately. After that, I helped uh, our daughter call him for Christmas, but his phone was cut off. We managed to get a hold of him by calling his mother. But since then, about five years ago, him and her, him and his family have never contacted us or really had any communications with us. I did try to call his mother, but she has not picked up. I really have no idea where he is. 
I really do need to get divorced and get a custody order, but I have no idea how to do that. I would like for our daughter to be able to see him again supervised one day, but I am worried he might get unsupervised visits or even custody or guardianship or that I might get in trouble for not tracking him down so he could see her. Is this a possibility? Also, I had kept my maiden name and that's my son's last name as well, but my daughter has her dad's last name and she would really like to change it. Would that be a possibility? So daughter changing her last name to the listener's former spouse's last name. Anyway, um, I guess this question, Rob, is the father here has been out of the picture for five years, a history of violence and bizarre erratic behavior on his part, to put it politely. And our listener wants to get divorced and she wants to move on. So what do you think? You and I, our last episode of this podcast that we released on Saturday, we did a history of the Divorce Act in Canada. And in Canada now where you get divorced, there's three grounds, separate and apart for a year, uh, physical or emotional abuse or adultery. Those are the three grounds that exist today. In 1968, there were 15 grounds of divorce, one of which was whereabouts of spouse unknown. (laughs) I think this is exactly the sort of matter where the listener would want to file. I love this question in that I understand her concerns about dad coming back on the scene because he was not a positive influence or a positive presence five years ago. We don't know the age of her children. But assuming your children are minors, even if they're 15 or 16, five years is a third of their life. Dad has not been involved with these children for a third of their life or more. If they're younger, it's a majority of their life. And historically, child services was not happy to have dad involved in these children's lives. So for this listener, I'd say file for divorce And normally in Divorced and Done, we always counsel uh, under parenting unless there's really egregious circumstances that both parents are going to have some parenting time. In this situation, because he's been gone for five years, uh, he'll have to demonstrate to the court why it's good that he's involved with these children again in the future. Uh, Something that we, we do in Alberta is reconciliation counseling where a counselor may come and meet with children and the estranged parents separately to even give an opinion on whether any reconciliation would even be healthy because he's been gone for so long. I think the best outcome for this individual, she can ask for that sole guardianship, meaning decision-making for the children, because dad's not around. She's done that already. She's made all the decisions for the last five years. And sole parenting time, meaning she has all parenting time of the children, all of the time um, because dad's just not around. And unless he shows up to court, she has a pretty good shot of getting these things. And I've once or twice had files very similar to this. They take a fair amount of time, but if dad is gone, you don't know where he is. First step you'll have to get is a substitutional service order to be able to serve him appropriately through court. Uh, which means you can't find him. I mean, she says yeah, she can't find him, but I mean, if, have you ask yourself this? Have you really? Have you looked? Not, have you really looked? 
Like yeah, when have I you looked really on Facebook? Looked, have you looked online? Have you Googled them? Yeah. Sorry to and steal your no, there. no, you're exactly no, they are exactly right. She need to get a substitutional service order because she doesn't have an address for him to start the action to serve that statement of claim for divorce. But my big view here, uh, and also on the notion of changing last names and other pieces, that's a part of guardianship decision making for children. If he's not interested in being involved, you haven't heard from him for five years, uh, and he doesn't show up for court. Uh, he doesn't engage the process. She should get the relief that she's seeking to be the sole guardian and sole parent for those children. Uh, and even if he does show up, he has a very steep hill that he'll have to overcome to why he should be involved with these children's lives and why mom shouldn't have sole responsibility for everything in these kids' lives. Or, you know, maybe you find him, you serve him, and he goes, what you're asking for is totally reasonable. Let's get to it. Yeah, he just agrees. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll give you a sole guardianship decision-making. You're the primary parent. Why don't we just build in supervised parenting time as agreed to between you and I, right, at, at its most general. Um, and that would be probably totally fine. And he pays some child support. You figure out what his income is. I mean, the one reluctance a court might have to granting a divorce, I think under Section 11 of our Divorce Act, uh, the court has to, when granting a divorce, consider whether the financial uh, arrangements for support of the children have been satisfied and take into consideration the guidelines. So you might have to, uh, not to make this more complex, when going through this process, if he doesn't engage, tell the court, look, I, when we separated, he was sort of doing this as an occupation. I think this is his income. And the court might say, great, his child support will be set at that income. You may never receive a dime of it, uh, but at least the court would make provision for the support of your children, your child. But yeah, I mean, start trying, try to find them, uh, engage a third party to try and find them because to get that substitutional service order, meaning a method of service to commence the proceedings that is not personal service, you're going to have to show to the court, I've made reasonable efforts to try and find them, which is, I'm sure you've done that, um, but you know, it's probably more than a phone call. It's probably involves a Google search, might even be a skip trace service, which you can Google what that is. But there are third party companies out there that'll help you try and track people down. And you might want to start with them, try and find them and then serve them. You can't serve them, get that substitutional service order and move through the process. And we wish you well. And uh, if you want to send us a question. We would love it. We got lots, but we want even more because we really love engaging with you, our listeners, because we really, really do appreciate it. And you can check us out on the web, divorcedanddone.com. You can check us out on TikTok. Rob's uh, got a swagger back on TikTok at Robert underscore Woodward. Check me out at family law underscore Darren Schmidt. You can send us an email with your questions, comments, thoughts, lawyers plural lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com i'm rob woodward darren schmidt thank you for being with us this has been divorced and done we look forward to being with you